welcome to episode 98 of Literary Disco, Julia Goes Arctic. Today, back by popular demand, meaning the five of you who tweeted at Todd, it's Literary Disco Games. We will begin with a bookshelf roulette, the segment in which Todd, Julia, and I are forced to pick a book at random from our shelves and then defend our ownership of it. And then Todd will host a round of Judge a Book by Its Cover, a game where we only get the opening of a book and have to deduce whatever we can about it. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our essayist and radio personality, Julia Pistel, and novelist and critic, Todd Goldberg. Hey, guys. Hey! This is uh, This is our farewell show. Yeah, farewell show for Julia. <laughs> farewell show to Julia. I'm Julia Shackleton Pistel. Julia Shackleton. <laughs> yep. So, Julia uh, just informed Ryder and I uh, that she has a summer vacation that she's going to go on. Uh, Julia, would you like to tell us where you're going on your summer vacation? Of course. I am going for two weeks to Norway's fjords and Arctic Svalbard, as well as sailing around the Arctic Circle on a boat. Pretty cool, huh? (laughs) Wow. Uh, you just said a lot of stuff that didn't make any sense. Yeah. But. You said well, a lot of stuff that sounded like it had a like, double A's and an umlaut over it. Okay. Well, uh, here's the deal. Um, I was, uh, I don't want to say invited. I was offered a trip to go to the Arctic at the last minute. Obviously, I am going. Um, but what I've really learned is that I don't know shit about Norway. So uh, I'm doing a Norway scramble right now. <laughs> Like, I couldn't tell you five things about Norway. I'm really, really ashamed to admit. Um, so I've been ordering some depressing-looking books, and I, I should probably read some Wikipedia articles. But, of course, the main thing is that I'm going to into Arctic Svalbard to look for polar bears. So, uh, which, for anyone who's read The Golden Compass, I know you're freaking out right now because that's where a lot of those books take place. Um so I'm really excited, and it's going to be awesome. I'm leaving on what, Sunday. There's no what, time to plan. What, what's the temperature there this time of year? Don't know. Haven't looked. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't go like, hold on, I'll do it for you. Wait one second. Let me, let me get my phone on. We're well, going to find out the weather. Hold on one minute. Well, here's the problem. <laughs> let me, let me get like Siri involved here. one specific spot. Uh, you know, we're going to be moving around a lot. I do know things I have to buy. Um, right. And I, I will say it is a problem because I've avoided buying a new winter coat for the last four years. So I have a parka coming in the mail tomorrow. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> I, you might want to get something more than a parka. Hold on one moment, please. No, you just need a parka. It's summer. <clears throat> hey, it's, Siri. It's laid out. What's the hey, temperature? Uh, hi, Siri. What's the temperature at the Arctic Circle? Oh, let me hit the button again. What's the temperature at the Arctic Circle? <clears throat> Looking. Here's what I found on the web for what's the temperature at the Arctic Circle. Oh, here it is. Uh, colder than fuck all. <laughs> is, that, is that the technical? That's not what it says. Is that in Celsius uh, or Fahrenheit? What, does it, say what does it matter? It's fucking cold. <laughs> like, are you going to walk outside and it's fucking polar bears? You'd be like, is that negative 25 Fahrenheit or is that negative 25 Celsius? You're going to die. You can't stand outside. 
Celsius are fucking okay. trash. Who the fuck All right. I think this is a good time. This is a good time for us to note that Todd lives in the desert yeah, where right. it's like between 80 degrees and 120 degrees at all times. Correct. I live in Connecticut where it's not nearly that cold, but it definitely is a wider range. So I hope it'll be worth it. I think it'll be awesome. And I'm excited to go and read lots of books on my trip and talk to people about the Golden Compass. And, and you're going with your husband, correct? Indeed. He is going. Um, okay. It should be awesome. Yeah, we're in bad need of a vacation. Uh, you should read some 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 Knossgard. It's already packed. Do you remember? Have, have you have you read any of the Carl O? Yeah, Knar- I oh, haven't right. read any, but I bought nice. it. Oh, uh, you know ago. what? The average Arctic summer temperature is thirty-seven to fifty-four degrees. <laughs> That's not bad. No. Thirty-seven degrees. Yeah, the average Arctic temperature in summer is thirty-seven to fifty-four degrees Fahrenheit. It's like you're going. Todd, it's like you're you- going to Vermont. Yeah, oh. it's not bad, see? Okay. Climate change. <laughs> great. <laughs> Yay. Making for great Arctic Circle vacations. <laughs> and, and you're going to... All right, guys, so what are we doing here? Are we, are we playing uh, a little roulette oh, here? Do we have numbers? Yeah, do we have numbers? We are. Too? I have numbers. Oh, wait, before we, so, before we play um, roulette, can I tell you guys about an embarrassing thing that happened to me? We'd love to hear it. Okay. Yes. So, as Ryder and Julia both know, sometimes around a sp- specific kind of famous person, I kind of lock up, and I can't really function. And those people typically are either writers I deeply admire, or people I've made inappropriate uh, r- relationships with in my mind from the television set. So, I don't know about you guys, but I watch a shit ton of HGTV do you guys watch HGTV? I don't think I even don't have a TV. Oh, wow! So it's, it's home a, and garden uh, channel. It's like that, home and yeah, that's stuff? That, okay. that's correct. Yeah, yeah, it's home and garden. A um, lot of shows about designing things on the cheap, or flipping houses, or uh, painting, or you know, I, I find it very cathartic. And there's, a, there's even though one show you don't do the, any of those things. No, God no, I'm a Jew. <laughs> like, like I'm gonna fucking, I'm not gonna build some shit. That I'm a Jew. Like, but my all-time favorite show is a show called House Hunters, where a couple goes and they look for homes that they clearly cannot afford, and then they're shown like three or four of them, and then they pick the one that they that they want to buy, and uh, and you know they they buy the house, and then eight months later you come and you see pictures of them in their house, and they look happy. But it's it's an exercise in existential malaise watching these people shop for houses, and for some reason I find that uh, wildly entertaining. But my other favorite show is a show called Property Brothers. Where there's these two brothers, these tall, strapping, good-looking dudes. One of them's a real estate agent, and one of them uh, is one of those guys who, you know, has a hammer and, and makes shit inside of a house. And they redo your houses for you. And uh, I watch the show constantly. I'm totally into the show. I've seen like 300 episodes of it. There's a third brother who uh, you don't really know so well. He doesn't really show up very often. But these dudes have this show, and they also inexplicably make country music. Um, and, you know, they're, they're like, you know, spokespeople for Lowe's or some shit. Anyway. Please tell me this has something to do with literature. It does. Okay. It does. So, a couple of weeks ago was the uh, Los Angeles Times Festival of Books, the biggest book festival in all of the nation. And um, the Property Brothers have a book out probably on, you know, like, 
nailing shit. And I saw they were on the schedule, and I got super excited because all of the guest authors get to hang out in the green room together. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a chance to meet the Property Brothers. And I was like, what am I going to do? And then my brother was like, we have to meet the Property Brothers. We have to get a picture of you and me with the Property Brothers. And immediately I'm like, no, I'm not getting a picture with my fucking brother and the Property Brothers. That's just weird. I'm happy to, to go and talk to the Property Brothers and see if we can become best friends because that seems normal. So all weekend long, or the first weekend of it, they're there. All Saturday I see them, and they're just walking through. And you can tell that they're not authors because they're super tall and super buff, and they're those kinds of guys that wear their shirt unbuttoned like one more than than Mm -hmm. a normal guy does because they have, like, muscles and whatnot. And people are coming up to them the whole time and, you know, saying stuff, and I'm like, oh, God, they look like they're really being bothered. I I shouldn't do anything. And everyone was sort of whispering, there's the Property Brothers. There's the Property Brothers. Because writers are so fucking dorky, they see someone that can hit a nail and also is on TV, and we lose our shit. So, uh, finally... I'm sitting with my friend Elizabeth Crane, who was on our show, um, and uh, my friend David Eulen's uh, lovely wife, the uh, actor and writing teacher, Ray DeBeau, and uh, the Property Brothers sit down at a table. And, oh, and Heather Partington, our, our, our high school teacher who taught us Camus, she was there as well. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, there's the Property Brothers. And Elizabeth Crane says, I dare you to say hello to them. And I'm like, I will say hello to them. And so I walked over, and they're sitting there, eating some fruit, looking awesome. And I'm like, what do I do now? I'm over here. I'm walking over here. I have a name tag on. We're in a closed room. It's clear that I'm coming to them. What do I do? And so what I chose to do, instead of sitting down and introducing myself, is I (laughs) I spread my arms around them. They're sitting next to each other and I put my arms on like the far side of both of their shoulders and I was like hey guys just wanted to tell you what a big fan I am and uh, it's just great uh, you know it's great great to see you guys just wanted to tell you just uh yeah and they're like hey man thanks a lot what do you do I'm like all right then thanks and I turned and walked away like they were perfectly sweet and started to engage me in a conversation and I was just like all right then see ya walked away and I was like I was like four feet away from them sitting in the chair going oh my god oh my god I just talked to the property brothers and like they can literally see me I'm literally four feet away from them oh god I felt so dumb yeah I mean you you, you, you probably should have that's ridiculous I mean what do you I don't understand. Like, you could sit there and, like, meet Stephen King or any big-time famous (laughs) author and be fine. But then somebody from television shows up and you lose your shit? Why didn't you lose your shit when you met me? You had no idea who I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I, I, you know, I have a very personal relationship. I see that, like, I'm in bed and I'm watching them on TV. They they seem very friendly. I feel like I could be friends with them. Like, I feel the same way when I see, like, uh, Dave Grohl on TV. I'm like, if Dave Grohl and I got the chance to know each other, I feel like Dave Grohl and I could be very close friends. Hmm. Yeah. So, they were super nice and seemed like they wanted to start a conversation with me, and I just had my arms on them like I was Jesus, and then ran and sobbed in the corner. Oh, God. Well, maybe that should teach you that they're just people, and you shouldn't worry so much oh god 
and I'm sure by the way, they probably have right now. Yeah, they have no recollection that this ever even uh, happened. Well, thank God no one listens to the podcast. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, it was mortifying. Anyway, that was my that was my embarrassing experience at the festival of books. All right, it's roulette time, guys. All right, he, here is how it works. Okay. Um, it's been a while since we've done this. Uh, what we are going to do is we are taking three random numbers given to us by our super fans, one of whom is very excited, by the way, uh, via Twitter. And the first number is what corner of the bookshelf we will start in. So one being the upper left corner, two being the upper right, three being the bottom right, four being the bottom left. Um, that's our first number that we're start up. Our second number will tell us how many shelves to count up or down. And our third number will tell us how many books to count over. Okay. Okay? All right. Are you guys ready? Yes. Okay. Our first number is from at Booger Surprise, who tweeted this Uh, number many times. I'm sorry. With a lot of exclamation Uh, uh, points. Booger Surprise? Booger Surprise. Booger Surprise is a big fan. It's a wonderful name. It's like at once kind of disgusting and also... Funny yeah. and interesting. Booker's is that on? It's uh, lovely. Is that we love you, Booger Surprise. <laughs> do you guys want to know what the number is, or are we going to do this for like ten or twenty? Minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the number from Booger Surprise is three. Three. All right. So that's three. lower so left. So we're starting in the bottom right corner. Bottom right. Bottom okay. right. Lower right. Okay. Our second <laughs> number. Our second number is from. Shouldn't Callie it be bottom Le- left? At- if, if one is top left, shouldn't three no, be bottom clockwise, left? Clockwise. Yeah. Clockwise. Oh, one is top I get it. Left. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. It's only uh, been three now, years. Next is from <laughs> at Callie Lafleur, who tweeted a bunch of different numbers, but I'm going to pick four. So we're going to count four shelves up okay. from the bottom. Gotcha. And then from the wonderful, a lot of threes here. I'm going to pick something other than three. From the wonderful at Heartfelt Home 24, she's going to give us the number 24. So, okay. starting at the bottom, counting up four shelves, count four, 24 books over. Are you guys ready? Okay. Literary Disco, break! Break! had that much exercise since we had to run the mile in eighth grade oh wow wow <laughs> that's sad i got a good one i have a good one too <laughs> i have one i don't know how i feel about it uh i've got one that makes me a little sad actually oh then why don't you start um Bob? okay Bring us, bring us down, and then we can uplift. All right. Good idea. So the book I picked um, is a collection of short stories called Helen on 86th Street and Other Stories by a writer named Wendy Kaufman. Um, and Why does that name sound familiar? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I mentioned her before. I might have mentioned it. We never read anything. Uh, about, oh, I was thinking Wendy no. Ortiz. Sorry. Yeah. 
so Wendy Kaufman uh, died. Um, Wendy Kaufman died of cancer, um, I guess it was two years ago now. Um, I first met Wendy Kaufman, I think, in 1998. Um, she was a short story writer and for many years was a writer for the, um, for the Washington Post, um, where she wrote about books. Um, and she wrote fantastic short stories. The title short story for this book, Helen on 86th Street, um, was in the New Yorker and then was later turned into a stage play um, that was uh, quite popular. Uh, but anyway, Wendy, um, Wendy was a client of my literary agent, my lovely literary agent, uh, Jenny Dunham. And when I first was looking for an agent in 1998, I was trying to sell a collection of short stories. And I wanted to know if uh, Jenny Dunham had was representing any short story writers of about my age, you know, what was going on with them. And she said, oh, I just sold a great short story to New Yorker uh, by a woman named Wendy Kaufman. You should talk to her. Um, you know, you should see what sh if she likes working with me and all that stuff. And so we did. We talked and um, we kept on a uh, sort of a, a email correspondence for many years and then when you know Facebook came along we were Facebook friends and we talked a lot online I hadn't actually talked to her in real life um, for like 10 or 12 years um, but you know fairly frequently online and um, I was on vacation my wife and I Wendy and I were in um, we were in Sedona and I got an email from her that said pretty simply um, I have a collection of short stories that's being published by a, a small press called Stillhouse Press, and um, I'd love for you to blurb it. That was the beginning of it. And then the second half of the email said, the other thing is, is that I am going to die before it comes out. Oh, my God. Mm. And um, I would love to have your words inside this book of mine. Um, I know we don't know each other well, but I feel like we always had uh, a nice connection, and I respect you. Um, and it would mean the world to me if you read the book and, and sent some nice words along um, while I was still alive. Um, and I was like, oh, fuck. And so she sent me um, the book that night um, when I responded to her. And I read the short stories um, while I was off on vacation. Um, and they were great. I mean, she's a wonderful, wonderful short story writer. Her her short story, Helen on 86th Street, um, is remarkably funny and strange and weird. And all of her short stories were <laughs> remarkably strange and weird um, about people living in the city and dealing with love and loss and strangeness um, and, and really writing in an elegant way. Um, but what I wrote about the book, um, and it's, you know, it's a strange thing. I, uh, this book has just been on my shelf since I got the actual hardcover book for you know a year now or whatever. I haven't actually looked at it, uh, but I said, uh, the characters who live inside Wendy Kaufman's stories are funny, frightened, damaged, and redeemed. Their world, a cascade of familial and rom romantic tumult rendered so elegantly, so viciously, that it's almost impossible to imagine they'll ever get, get out alive. But they do. They do. Helen on 86th Street is a collection that crosses the intersection of life's great expectations and great failures and never pulls back, never lets go, and the result is nothing short of revelatory. Um, she was just a fantastic short story writer, um, a very nice person, a wonderful journalist, and a mother, and a wife, um, and all those things that people are when they live a good long life. 
Um, and this is a fantastic short story collection, and you can get it anywhere online, I'm sure. Um, and the publishing company was and still is uh, Stillhouse Press. I want to read it. Me too. It's a good book. Um, and she was such a nice person. Um, but man, that was a tough email to receive. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she was she was a, a super kind person and uh, and a wonderful writer. And this book, you know, the book gets to live beyond her. And isn't that the the thing that art does? It gets to live it, beyond. It sounds you. like I need to it, publish a book. <laughs> yeah, clearly, <laughs> no one will ever know you were here. No, but it it makes you think about like you know what people will read from you after you're gone or you know whatever what your legacy is going to be and uh right you know it, it'd be nice if it was your own words and mm-hmm. yeah that's i want to read her book yeah you should i recommend it highly it's a good one and lot there's you know there's it's like a list of all of her friends that blurbed it i mean uh, carolyn leavitt and joyce maynard and uh, janet fitch who's my friend also and jamie attenberg and i mean it's just she was just a lovely, uh, lovely human being. Um, so anyway, you should you should all go buy her book, um, irrespective of my feeling sad about it. It's it's a wonderful, super funny, super fucked up book. <laughs> so there you go, Great. Helen on Eighty Sixth Street. All right, I um I landed on my, um in my poetry shelf, and I landed on the works of Andrew Marvel. Uh, is that a magician? Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. 17th century poet to his coy mitch- mistress? Come on. English majors. No one. All right. You, you, read, you read him in, in high school. At one point, you read this poem to his coy mistress. Had we but the world, had we but world enough in time, this coyness lady were no crime. Do you know this one? Yes. No. Oh, it's, it's a super sexy poem about trying to screw oh. your girlfriend. Um, Oh, but he's hey, wonderful. Well, uh, uh, he's, he's a, Julia did the lights. Let's hear that. <laughs> I'm, you know what I'm going to read? I, I, I do want to read a poem because I have a dog-eared page of this. And I'm okay. assuming I bought this book probably when I was in my teens and discovering poetry for the first time. And I was going through my John Keats phase. And, um, you know, I, I went through all the romantics. And then I probably went back to the 17th century and got this book. Because of To His Coy Mistress, which I'm sure is the only poem I had ever read before I bought this book. Um, but I had dog-eared a poem. So I'm just going to read it. Yeah. I've never, I haven't read this since I bought this book. It's The Definition of Love. Oh. One. My love is of a birth as rare as tis for objects strange and high. It was begotten by despair upon impossibility. Or impossibility in order for it to rhyme. Two. <laughs> magnanimous despair alone could show me so divine a thing where feeble hope could near have flown but vainly flapped its tinsel wing. Three. And yet... Respect my impossibility. And yet I quickly might arrive where my extended soul is fixed. But fate does iron wedges drive and always crowds itself betwixt. Four. For fate with jealous eye does see two perfect loves, nor lets them close. Their union would her ruin be, and her tyran- tyrannic power depose. Five. And therefore her decrees of steel, us as the distant poles have placed, though love's whole world on us doth wheel, not by themselves to be embraced. Six. 
Unless the giddy heaven fall and earth some new convulsion tear, and us to join, the world should all be cramped into a planisphere. Seven. As lines, so loves oblique, may well themselves in every angle greet, but ours, so truly parallel, though infinite, can never meet. Eight, the final, final stanza. Therefore the love which us, which us doth bind. Us <laughs> doth bind? No. Therefore the love which us doth bind, but fate so enviously debars, is the conjunction of the mind and opposition of the stars. Mm. So there you go. Andrew Marvel. Wonderful. He's wow. basically like a, a poor man's Dunn. If anybody likes John Dunn, you probably like Andrew Marvel for some of his poetry. I feel like... But it's also a pretty good magician name. Mm-hmm. Is it supposed to be Marvell? Am I pronouncing it wrong? I just... Do it, do it in a know. super ask, English accent. Ask, ask everyone else whose names you mispronounced over the years. I just want to say that possibilitas sounds so Eric Cartman to me. Like, let's examine these possibilitas. It's really good. Very derivative. <laughs> so... Possibilitai. Yes. Possibilitai is also like the good name of a like an art band. I'm the lead singer Possibilitai. It's actually Impossibilitai. Oh, Upon right. Impossibilitai. Is that AI at the end? No. Huh. Huh. It's just spelled impossibility, but you know, back in the day. <laughs> you, have you guys never read English poetry from before the 20th century? Really? In the t- Back in the day, man. I mean, seriously, like, you read this shit all the time when you're reading Dunn and Marvel and Pope and uh, Edmund Spencer. And any of these names mean anything to you guys? Yeah. Yeah, English majors. They they do this. They do the the rhyme scheme is often, you know, like a a long I when it really should be a short I. And you think like, oh, right, it's. It's a little fudgy, or is it just how they were pronouncing it at the time? Right. So I picked Into the Wild by Jonathan Krakauer. Um, very appropriate for my trip. Because you're going to burn all your cash and throw away your credit cards and join the Arctic Circle? Yeah, I'm going to die oh. emaciated and naked after eating something weird. With Emil Hirsch, is is it Emil Hirsch? Is that who plays? Him yeah, in the movie? I mean, in so. the jeans commercial that's masquerading as a movie called Into the Wild. Oh, wow. oh I'm sorry, it's an SUV commercial <laughs> masquerading as a movie. Wow, society, wow, crazy. I actually really love the soundtrack, but yeah, go on. Um, before I was cut off. Um, what the one thing that I think is interesting about this book to me now is that Krakauer has re-released a couple articles about what he thinks happened to Chris McCandless. Um, it's like he's not done thinking about it and investigating it, and I find that to be really interesting. Um, especially since Krakauer started out as a magazine writer and now has re- released so many long-form nonfiction books, he just seems to be very emotionally invested in what happened to this kid so i encourage people to read the book it's really short it's easy to read very gripping and i also encourage them to go look around for what Krakauer's written about him in the meantime because he's still he's still digging around 
So that's Into the Wild by John Krakauer. You know, there's uh, because there's a bunch of that book that takes place out here um, by the Salton Sea, mm-hmm. there's a lot of interest where I live in that story. And people come out here and, you know, go to Salvation Mountain where he was and check that out. Um, I, I, I screened the movie version of it at UCR Palm Desert a couple years ago. We had a huge crowd, but it was one of those crowds where it was like, Half people that wanted to see the movie and half conspiracy theorists. Uh, yeah. I, I'd never, I'd never experienced such a thing. I mean, there's, there's people that are like, he still walks among us. Wow. What? Yeah, and they might mean it metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> Great investigation uh, into the conspiracy. <laughs> well, I didn't interview the people. So, what what book are you bringing with you on your trip? Do you have a book that you're taking with you? As if I would bring one book on a two-week trip. What the fuck are you even saying? I have, like, eight books <laughs> piled up. Um, I've got the My Struggle. I have another Norwegian book. Hang on. Let me, let me look. One second. I also ordered Out Stealing Horses by Per Pedersen. It just seemed like uh-huh. a good Norwegian book. Okay. No idea what it's about. Um, but it won, or it was a New York Times book review book of the year. And then, hilariously, I Googled best books about the Arctic. And I actually already own the top three because I love books about like <laughs> terrifying shipwreck disasters, which is what all Arctic books are about. so they are the kingdom of ice the terror which is like a horror novel slash shipwreck and then barry lopez's arctic dreams so i already have those and i'm bringing them with me yeah so that's what i'm packing plus probably like five or six more um i mean i will probably bring a lot of books i can i can't imagine i will read them all but i'll try how many books? Let me ask you guys. Let's this. try and get through uh, Matterhorn, which we are yes. reading for right, our next episode. Yes, episode ninety nine will be on yes. Matterhorn. Um, so that's a six hundred page book, but you'll get through it. Let me ask quickly. you guys this: How many books would you pack for a two week vacation? Mm, five. Okay. Yeah. Five, in case I didn't five. like one, I would always end up. Yeah, I'd bring a. I'd bring a, a nonfiction or two. And then a couple of novels, and then I would usually include one book of poetry. Yeah. So that wasn't yeah. that five. Of because, and there's always a chance that you're not engaged by one, and that way you can go pick up something else. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. But, Jumping. I mean, if yeah. I were going to be on a boat barreling through the fjords, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but that might be enough for me just to be there seeing that. Um, and it's not going to be like when you're on yep. that fucking whale ship and you were eating... Nutella on hardtack, like this is like a cruise ship. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not like a big cruise ship. It's like a small expedition boat, but it's definitely not a historic ship. Okay, <laughs> good. Don't worry. Yeah, but boat life is pretty slow anyway. Like reading a book, yeah. on on a boat is is nice. It's a good time to kick back and. Absorb something. All right. Well, speaking of kicking back and absorbing something, let's play our second and final game of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, It's a little game we like to call Judging a Book by Its Cover, um, which actually has absolutely nothing to do with the cover of a book. 
Um, in fact, what it is is uh, I read, or judgment, I read the opening paragraph of a book, and Julia and Ryder attempt to glean what kind of book it is, perhaps who it's by, and any other details contained therein. I have three books today. Um, I'm going to give you a choice of colors to pick uh, to see which one goes first. Uh, your colors are blue, white, or goldenrod. Goldenrod. Goldenrod, okay. Are you guys ready? Yep. All right. <clears throat> ah. This is judging a book by its color eye. <laughs> a hearty laugh. All right, here we go. The lunch hour in the co-worker's cafeteria at Frankenberg's had reached its peak. There was no room left at any of the long tables, and more and more people were arriving to wait back of the wooden barricades by the cash register. People who had already got their trays of food wandered about between the tables in search of a spot they could squeeze into, or a place that somebody was about to leave, but there was no place. The roar of dishes, chairs, voices, shuffling feet, and the brack of the turnstiles in the bare-walled room was like the din of a single huge machine. Okay. Hmm, that's really nice. I like that paragraph. It is really nice, um, yes. That is definitely... Contemporary, I would say 20th century, or obviously, and later. Um, I definitely don't know it. I, I think I would recognize I think you're that. trying to throw us yeah. off with that obviously incorrect uh, turnstile sound. That's not what turnstiles sound like. <laughs> That's like a chicken turnstile. Yeah. <laughs> it's spelled... It's spelled B-R-A-A-A-C-K. And it was Frankenberg's was the name of the cafeteria that we're in? Th that's correct. The, the hell Frankenberg's. And everybody becomes a machine? I feel like this is like every book that you like. This is some like Richard Russo, you know, working class <laughs> dudes <laughs> thinking about their life book. I have no clue what it, it is. It is... Uh, it's your Hold on, wrong. don't say uh, what it is. Don't say I'm not it. Say We're it. still right, okay. Right. It's okay. it's 20th century. Oh, it's a male writer. I'm gonna say, uh, mostly because Julia said dudes. Uh, I don't know why she said that. <laughs> and and is it a college <laughs> book? Is it about no college? workers cafeteria? No? Workers cafeteria. Workers cafeteria. Okay, and they all become a machine at the end. So it's it's sort of like. It's a little bit of a communist book. It's kind of a commie book. No? It's, it's a book about the plight of the worker. Is there such thing as kind of a commie book? Socialist. Socialist. It's, like it's a socialist book. All right. all it's a, it, okay. Yeah, it, it, right. if Bernie Sanders wrote a book, it would begin with the plight of the workers in their cafeteria. Okay. All right. And how they all become part of a machine. So I feel like this has got to be... Now you're getting me on the like dystopian track, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't mm -hmm. feel like Todd's that's what Todd head. would have in his head. actually shaking his head. How many dystopian things take place at a cafeteria inside of Frankenberg's? Yeah. Oh, with, where's Dax? He's in Frankenberg's cafeteria shooting the arrow through the amulet. No. Your version of dystopian, dystopian is like Hunger Games. Yeah, that's not what I we I believe mean. that Julia was referencing like a 1984 
dystopian tradition. Which, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Don't get too fantasy sci-fi on this. Let's, you know. Okay, but this is obviously wrong based on Todd's reaction. So... Would you like... Let me read the next sentence. Uh, I'll pick it up here. The roar of dishes, chairs, voices, shuffling feet, and the... Of the turnstiles in the bare walled room was like the din of a single huge machine. Therese ate nervously with the Welcome to Frankenberg's booklet propped up in front of her against a sugar container. All right. It's, a, it's definitely like a satire of American life. It's like, it, it feels to me like Confederacy of Dunces or something, like something that's going to mock people and mock systems. So like Catch-22-ish, Confederacy of Dunces-ish, 20th century... Uh, satire. That's what. I, that, that's okay. All I'm okay. going Julia, with final George guess. Saunders. George Saunders ish. George Saunders. I'm okay. going with uh, like short story collection, very realistic, almost like, or maybe it actually is, Lucia or Lucia Berlin. Okay. Yes. Julia is closer than Ryder <sighs> is. Uh, this is. Uh, the novel The Price of Salt, which became the movie Carol, if you guys can mm. see, uh, oh, by yeah. Patricia Highsmith, cool. um, which is a novel of two women who fall into an illicit love affair. I didn't realize that was a novel first. Oh, I a, liked that movie a lot. It's a great novel. Movie. Absolutely fantastic novel. Awesome. Um, and Therese, it's not dystopian. Um, Frankenberg's is a department store. Ah. Um, and uh, Therese is in the, the cafeteria of the department store. Um, right. But if you've seen the movie Carol, it's a really faithful adaptation of The Price of Salt, um, which uh, is a great title for the book. It's been retitled uh, Carol so that people will buy it now. Um, but uh, Patricia Highsmith, who is best known for the talented Mr. Ripley, um, The Price of Salt was a largely autobiographical uh, book about um, a young stage designer who uh, falls in love with a very sophisticated woman um, and their illicit romance that has some crimeish overtones to it. But it's a it's a fantastic book. So sort of Lucia Berlin, you know, ask mm-hmm. Julia. Not bad. Thank you. All right. Next up, uh, blue, blue or white? White. Here is the beginning of this book. Dear Justin, since the last time I have written you, three weeks ago, I have been transferred from the work gangs, 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., to the dairy. Here's a typical day. Get up at 4 a.m., milk eight cows till 6.15. Take the cows to pasture, eat at 6.45. Clean cow barn from 7.15 to 9.30, then miscellaneous duties until noon. Eat, grind corn or haul hay until 2.30, Take a nap until 3.30, go get the cows, eat at 5 p.m., milk cows again from 6 to 8.30, carry milk to the kitchen, go to bed at 9.30 p.m. Wow. Okay. All right. I have two thoughts. One is... This might be a YA novel. Yes. <laughs> go for it. I agree. All right. Let me go first. Um, right? So, okay. first of all, this is neither here nor there, but a friend of mine has a cat named Justin, so I'm imagining this all being written to a cat. Very distracting for me. Two. Very distracting for me. (laughs) Yes. Definitely throwing me off. 
Uh, this reminds me of books like historical fiction that I read when I was in like third grade, like My Brother Sam is Dead or other books like that, where yeah. it's just listing out these like logs of interesting historical information. I, again, feel like that is not a book that Todd would have in his home, but that's what it's doing for me. What about you, Ryder? Yeah, I, I, I have a hard time believing that Todd would have picked a YA book, but it feels like a, yeah, I guess maybe it's just the name Justin, like Dear Justin is the opening of your book. I can't help but feel like it's written in the mid-90s or early 2000s as a YA novel. Because that's like when people named <laughs> Justin were trendy. Um, so not just the that's, name. That's, that's the all people. that's driving that. The people, but also are you know the, 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 the <laughs> I think um, yeah, it, you know because it's like a list. It's hard to do much more than, or I guess the schedule. It's it's hard to 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 go beyond that. Um, Would you like um, to hear the next line? The next line might provide a little illumination. Sure. Yes. Uh, so it's carry milk to kitchen, go to bed at 9.30 p.m. <laughs> in the dairy, I get five good days a month, making it possible for me to get out in May instead of June. Oh, my God. This is another fucking Richard Russo something something. Prison? Uh... It's, somebody's in prison. It's not, it's not good. Um... There's, there's not a single Richard Russo book about someone in prison. Just just so we're clear, besmirched a good name of Richard <laughs> Russo, but continue. But, but we agree that this person is in prison now, right? This is a, is it orange is the new black? Is it? No. no. Uh, Have you no. ever seen any fucking cows in orange is the new black? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I never read the book. <laughs> It's about Julia? a super rich, privileged lady from New York going to jail, Ryder. You're way off. Um, <laughs> Am I? Or is the entire story of this paragraph about somebody milking cows and making that a, like, a thing? Which Okay, here's a random idea. I haven't read this book in like 10 years. But now that you say prison, is it like... The Green Mile or something like that. Like some kind of popular fiction written from jail about a rural lifestyle. Green Mile. Mm. Green Mile is my guess. Green Mile. Okay. Green Mile. And Ryder, you have no idea? No. Uh, this is the Collected Letters of Neil Cassidy, 1944 to 1967. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, that what a is a weird letter. book for you to that have. That is impossible. Uh, it's a letter that. Uh, so it starts off the uh, the collection of letters, and it's a letter Neil sent to his friend Justin while he was um, stuck in the Colorado State Reformatory, October 8th, 1944. Uh, Justin is portrayed in Kerouac's novels as Denver D. Dahl. Um, and Justin G. Mannerly and Manly Mannerly. Um, so he appears in Kerouac's novels, this dude, Justin. It's a pretty fascinating book. It's, uh, it was compiled by uh, his wife, uh, Carolyn Cassidy. Um, I got all kinds of shit. I got, I got levels. <laughs> all right. Do you have My Brother Sam is Dead? I don't, but I do, I do want to read that now. All right, we have one last book. To conclude our games episode, 
and the last episode before Julia hits the open sea. Are you guys ready? Yes. Okay. At first, they watched the rain from inside the tent, and then they watched it come inside the tent. A stone path extended from the house to the shore. When the shuttle buses arrived, the stones were opaque. Now they were translucent, the kind of wet that made it difficult to imagine them ever being dry again. Lightning struck the surface of the ocean, and a curtain of hot wind swayed inward at their feet, pushing detached bouquet petals in a, bow, in a row. Victor took a step back. These were his only nice shoes. I totally thought of okay, seating arrangements. Maggie, Maggie Shipstead, Shipstead book? Yes, that's exactly what I said. It is not. Oh. What? <laughs> it's not, oh, man. It's not the book. That's so funny. It feels, you know, it's, it's obviously about a wedding and everybody gathered. Is it the clasp? It is the clasp. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> the lost prove, episode. To prove that we read the book, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the clasp. <laughs> Sloan Crossley. At long oh, last. <laughs> Our review. We, we did an episode about this book and then the recording died. And we couldn't re-record it. But the clasp, oh, the, the clasp so nice by Sloan Crossley, <laughs> and Julia froze again, gone. <laughs> She'll be back. <laughs> so yes, you guys, you and and yeah. uh, thinking it might be the Maggie Shipstead book was a good thing because we compared the clasp to Maggie Shipstead's book when we were talking about it on the episode. So our opinions have stayed consistent. <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> We got that totally plot-based. There was nothing about the actual writing. Oh, <laughs> uh, people in a tent, wedding, worried about shoes, class. So we were like, oh, it's about class and a wedding. And we only read two books about that. <laughs> so we nailed it. That's not bad. You guys, you guys nailed one right on the, right on the top. That... Yeah, but we thought Neil Cassidy was a YA novel. <laughs> which kind of makes sense, considering he was never published in his life and... Was probably writing from a you know tenth grade level. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Do you feel satisfied with yourself, Julia? Oh, she's not there. She's gone. <laughs> Julia's been gone for like forty-five minutes. <laughs> this, this will be it, listeners. When you hear this episode, know that Ryder and I did, in fact, include Julia as on the show as, we could. <laughs> as much as we possibly could. <laughs> And for long stretches, we pretended we could hear her, but we could not. All right, what should we talk about? Good stuff? Uh, let's talk about prison novels. And, uh, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about the new uh, Anderson East album. I don't know what that is. What is that? Oh, you'd like Anderson East. He's a singer-songwriter. Oh, okay. Uh, he's, uh, he's quite good. Um, or we can just talk about... Um, Oh, you know what we should talk about? Um, we should talk about growing our hair longer and wearing leather jackets. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. No, I'm done no. with the long hair. <laughs> and, you know, I'm at the point where, like, I, it's really hard for me to wear a leather jacket in public because if anybody recognizes me, it's like, really, dude? Like, you wore a leather jacket on a TV show for seven years when you were a teenager and you're still wearing a leather jacket? <laughs> So I can't do it, even though I have a I have right. a pretty great leather jacket. But like, right. 
I'm just. It'd be like if Michael Jackson showed up in that uh, that red zipper number. Exactly. Yeah, when they when they asked me to come back for Girl Meets World, I was like, yeah, just I'm not gonna wear a leather jacket. <laughs>